0: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have Dr. Kate Shanahan. She's a physician and a biochemist. Um, she's examined diets around the world that are known to produce the healthiest and most long-lived people. You know, diets like the Mediterranean diet, uh, Okinawa people, and Blue Zone people. And it looks like she's identified what's what's in common to them. So we're going to be talking about that and her new book, about Deep Nutrition. So uh, Kate, thanks for coming. How are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah,
0: I've, I've noticed that people in the health field, you know, unfortunately they've had uh, a difficult background. You know, usually they've dealt with a condition themselves or family member. You know, if you don't mind sharing, what's some of your uh, background?
1: Yeah, so uh, around 2001, I got what um, I thought was a curse <laughs> in my knee um, and when I lived on Hawaii, and I moved some rocks from one island to the next. You're not supposed to do that. Um, uh, because no one at, of the doctors that I saw could explain what was going on. It was swollen and hurt. I was getting fevers. I couldn't walk. I had surgery. Nothing helped. Um, so, um, uh, really what was going on was I, I had a virus that sort of took up residence in my knee based on the fact that my diet was pretty horrible. And I didn't know it because I thought I was eating really pretty healthy. I was doing everything you're supposed to do. Based on what doctors are taught in medical school, which is as complex as what uh, an eight year old can read from the back of a Cheerios box. There's really not much to the science of nutrition that doctors learn in medical school. Same goes for dieticians. It's not like doctors are worsely educated than dieticians. We all learn the same stuff and it's all wrong. The idea that, you know, saturated fat uh, clogs your arteries um, and raises your cholesterol and cholesterol is bad for you and salt gives you hypertension, all that stuff. That you read on the cereal boxes and all that that they use to advertise um you know so called healthy junk food is uh, all nonsense, and I had learned basically nothing of any value in my entire you know many years of training, not just medical school but college you know and and high school and back to grade school, where we start learning things, <laughs> you know, we start getting the brainwashing starts young. And um, so I had to reverse all of that brainwashing when I got sick in order to understand what a healthy human diet really looked like. And that uh, pursuit became uh, the book called Deep Nutrition, Why Your Genes Need Traditional Food, where I talk about the four pillars of the human diet. And by the way, I did get better. Okay. My knee got better.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, what What are the four pillars that you figured out?
1: So um, these are elements common to every single cuisine before, like, globalization and the industrialization changed the way we produce and enjoy our food. Um, And they're still common to many cuisines. So there's four of them. The first one, simply fresh food that exists uh, the way it exists, you know, whether it's fruit or... um, raw milk, like real dairy products are uh raw and not pasteurized or homogenized. Um sushi is another example of, you know, uncooked fish. Uh so raw food, every culture has some form of raw food and many actually many forms of raw food. Uh fresh vegetables of course in the places around the world where people grew vegetables, uh, we had access to those. Um, so that's the first pillar and um and it really is just uh you know common sense and the way people thought through and solved problems in the past um, because if they had too much fresh food uh, they didn't want it to go to waste so they found ways to preserve it and that's what fermentation is so that's the next pillar fermented and sprouted foods um, fermentation like yogurt you know we preserve milk a little bit longer we preserve it for a lot longer when we make cheese um, and uh, the other half of that is sprouting. So we work with nature to take things that naturally preserve themselves, like seeds, um, and wake them up. So uh, sprouting grain gives us sprouted grain bread, and a lot of other, you know, you can sprout beans and so on. So that's the first two. And then um, the third pillar of the human diet is meat on the bone. And I include the on the bone part, specifically because, you know, less people eat meat, but very few people think about the fact that there's still nutrition in the connective tissue, in the bones and the joints that we right now mostly just waste, throw away, or send to the pharmaceutical company so they can sell it back to us in the form of um, collagen supplements or collagen injections uh, because it's deficient from our diet. So uh, that's meat on the bones. So we used to save the bones, boil them, make soup out of them. Uh, gnaw on the end, ends of the bones, you know, directly because uh, it has flavor. Um, and then the last pillar is called organ meat, and these deserve special mention because when people raised animals or hunted them um, or grazed them, however we, you know, got access to animals, we didn't just use the muscle meat. We we did the nose to tail thing. Um, and we ate every bit that we could possibly figure out how to make it taste good, which was pretty much every bit. And this is universal around the world. So it's, it's not just Okinawan. It's not just and people in Japan did, you know, too. Obviously they, they, uh, wh- whatever animals, um, they made use of around the world, they just made use of the whole thing, including the organs. And the thing about organs that a lot of folks don't consider is that they are really powerhouses of nutrition. You know, and we have um, the muscle meat of the animal, which is really all that we use these days. We don't even use the fat. We don't use the skin very often. Now we have boneless, skinless um, chicken products.
0: But, yeah, question uh, question in that regard. Um, you know, so, again, wherever I eat, it looks like it's, it's always the chicken breast and it's the white meat that they'll put in sandwiches and, you know, whatever. What happens to the millions and maybe even billions of chickens that are killed, for instance? What happens to all the other parts of them? is it just ground up and fed to other chickens or thrown away? Because we're missing, it looks like a lot of what's there.
1: Not a lot is thrown away. So it does get used, but it gets used not for human consumption. It's used for pet food, a lot of it, um, and then can be used to make different industrial products, anything from carpet backing to different forms of glue and um, all, all kinds of stuff that it gets used for. So it doesn't Usually go to waste, but um we don't get to benefit from it, and when we don't get to benefit from it, we're missing a lot of nutrition, so a lot of folks um are know that a lot that most of us are deficient, we don't get anywhere near the recommended daily allowances and most of the vitamins and minerals, and the way that we used to do that was because we used to eat different organs, and each organ of an animal's body is basically a uh, powerhouse of a dish, a different nutritional profile, so the muscle meat, which is all that we eat now, is a great source of amino acids but uh, aside from amino acids, there's also vitamins, minerals, and essential fatty acids and lots of antioxidants and without getting the organ meat that we uh, that we still need we don't get we don't easily reach nutrient sufficiency, especially those of us who um you know don't need two thousand calories a day uh, or will gain weight. Right. So my, my calorie budget is somewhere around 1500 and it's almost impossible to get a hundred percent of the, of my body's needs for vitamins and minerals on that few calories. So it, I have to supplement, but people didn't used to do that. We used to have liver. We used to have kidney. We would have, um, all the different organs of the body. Each, each one, like I say, has a different nutritional profile and um, so, for example, liver is really high in B vitamins and certain minerals. Uh, kidney is really high in another, uh, different nutrient profile of nutrients. Even bone marrow, there's certain, um, fatty acids and vitamins that are really high in bone marrow and all, all the body parts, uh, eyeballs have vitamin A, uh, testicles have vitamin E. So we never let anything go to waste, uh, but now, now we do, and our animals actually eat, uh, much more, uh, Uh, You know, animals eating uh, canned dog food and cat food are getting a higher quality food than most human beings that uh, are feeding them.
0: Well, do you think, um, you know, if I buy a chicken from the store and I buy a whole chicken and decide to eat that whole chicken, do you even think that's a good idea? Because probably, unless that chicken was really well cared for, it was fed you know who knows what and given hormones to beef up its breast and make it huge and i mean is it even a good idea to try to eat the organ meats of animals unless they're like pasture raised or grass fed or you know really super well cared for
1: it's a it's a better idea to get the most high quality and if you can get and kind of pasture raised or more humanely produced it's going to be better it's going to be more nutritious but it's still you know otherwise then we just don't get the nutrition, or we supplement with pills, which are far inferior. The synthetic products are are not the same as what nature makes. And when we consume them in isolation, which is what happens, I mean, when we consume them without the food, without the other nutrients that they're normally um, encapsulated with, in the, you know, when we eat food, um, the, our bodies don't know how to utilize it as efficiently. So it's it's not as good. So, you know, bottom line is, yeah, it's totally true that, uh, you know, Tyson and a whole bunch of other brand name <laughs> chickens are are not as good for you, but, uh, you know, not as good for you as it, as if you could find, if, if you raise it yourself, certainly, or if you have like a local farmer or something, but it's still, the it, it, given that it's really one of the best options, another really good option is to avoid animal products altogether and just do lots and lots of, um you know high the highest quality or not animal products altogether, but um uh, try to do eggs and dairy still um and then you can do lots of spices because um spices, herbs and spices uh can be like the superfoods of the vegetable world, but the problem is that um, many of them are grown in foreign countries where there's just tons of lead and other toxins in the fertilizers, so that's not a great solution either. So, you know, we really are, uh, there's kind of like, you're almost damned if you do and damned if you don't, so you may as well just do whatever you like better, right? If you don't like the idea of eating animals, then try to have more herbs and spices and, you know, nutrient-dense vegetables um, and ferment your vegetables and, uh, you know, try to sprout your beans and sprout your grains. It increases the nutritional value of everything. And if you don't like doing all that, then go ahead and just get the best animal the best quality animal products that, that you can and um, make the best of it, make the best tasting meals that you can. <laughs> really, it's all about flavor because flavor is nutrition. And what we did when we uh, scientifically analyzed the cuisines of the world was we looked at traditional recipes and that's how we found that there are these four common elements in all traditional cuisines around the world by looking at the recipes.
0: Well, let me Yeah, let's talk about that. So how did you even think to do this and what was your analysis like what does it look like like so you talked about organ meats um pick a culture what do they do how do they literally use every part of the animal what's an example of some of their recipes
1: yeah so sausage um so uh even in the the movie the blue zones by dan buettner um which came out uh just before uh deep nutrition came out the first edition of deep nutrition came out um is it, 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 this gentleman, uh, as a journalist? He went to a couple places around the world where they have fairly long lifespans, um, com- compared to the average. And he found people that were just following whatever the culture's tradition was. So, for example, in, um, he went to, I think it was Sardinia in Italy, uh, somewhere in Italy, I think it was Sardinia. And um, he met an Italian gentleman there who was like butchering a lamb or a goat or something. And he was up to his elbows, basically, in (laughs) making sausage meat. Um, And so sausage is a totally common element to pretty much all of European cultures. um, And uh, for good reason, because it's a great way when you have like a Mediterranean climate, which is relatively dry, relatively predictable season a need to slaughter animals at a same at the same time because of, you know, the climate needs or climate or because of your climate, right? Like you can't uh if it's too dry you can't feed them all um when during the dry season. So you slaughter them, you need to preserve them. The dryness helps preserve them. So they just worked with nature um to find a way of uh utilizing the foods that they had on hand. So that's one super common way that they um preserved organ meat as well as some fat and uh, some muscle meat in most of Europe. Um, another another uh, thing that they did was make cheese, right? So pretty much everywhere has some form of dairy that's been fermented. Um, where it's colder, uh, they tend to make cheese. Where it's warmer, they tend to drink it fresh and um, make yogurt out of it. Um, just I think, because of the bacteria, like that you need to you need to have cold to cold for an extended time period for the bacteria that make cheese for us um I don't even know if it's bacteria, it might be some fungus too, I should say microbes, so cold weather microbes seem to be uh conducive to growing cheese, so in the colder climates of of Europe, um, they made tons of cheese in the warmer climates in Africa and Asia they make tons of yogurt (laughs) Um, and in the Middle East, they make yogurt cheese. (laughs) It's kind of funny. uh, So it's like a soft, softer cheeses. But, um, so that's pretty much universal to much of the world. Uh, Not so much South America and North America, but um, pretty much the rest of the world. They they do use a lot of dairy. Um, Not so much on the little tiny Pacific islands where it was harder to travel with large dairy animals to places like Hawaii and um, and the Philippines, but uh, you know where it was practical to bring these excellent sources of of you know renewable food. You just feed your animal, or your animal grazes on its own, and you just have to milk it a few times a day. So uh, dairying is a huge tradition. So those are just a couple of examples of, of stuff that's common in, in large swaths of the world. And in the places where they have you know mm-hmm. where it's on an, an island, they there's you'll find tons of raw fish. You'll find that more often or you'll find like in Hawaii, they um, found a, something called poi, which is a root vegetable um, that has been dried and pounded and rehydrated and then fermented. So they, they, this taro actually gets made into poi by this process. And so they just found that that taro root was something that grew really well in the relatively extremely acid and fairly um unconducive to most farming practices uh, type soil that that you find in in hawaii there's not a lot that actually grows there very well like it's really hard to get good tomatoes on hawaii (laughs) you have to remediate the soil in a whole bunch of
0: ways. again part of the problem is that you know a lot of the people listening for instance are living in an urban area they depend on the food that's brought to them you know by grocery store restaurant or whatever it is and from my experience a lot of the nutrition is invisible to the eye so what what are some recommendations for people that live in urban areas? What can they do that's feasible for them?
1: Well, I, I have lots of solutions in our book, Deep Nutrition. You know, what do you do uh, in an average grocery store? Um, you know, what's like a good shopping list? I, I have that in the, the last chapter of the book. But um, basically, uh, you know, so if we want to switch gears and just talk about, um, so go from talking about traditions and what they all had in common to, what what you can do in your average grocery stores basically the stuff you've probably already heard of which is you know shop from the edges you want to avoid the processed food uh, the worst thing in the grocery store is anything that is made with vegetable oil and vegetable oil is kind of like a unknown toxin um that hardly anybody's talking about but it's it's actually my specialty and this is where the biochemistry that i learned when i uh, was at cornell university uh, really radically changed uh, the way I eat. And this is really what convinced me that everything I'd learned in medical school about saturated fat and cholesterol is wrong because it did not take into account the biochemistry of these vegetable oils, which is what is, which is the defining feature of junk food. When you talk about junk food, you think of um, Twinkies and chips. You look at the ingredients, you're not going to find butter in there. You're not going to find cream. You're not going to find any kind of natural uh, saturated fat in there. You're going to find vegetable oil that is, polyunsaturated and unstable or has been hydrogenated and rendered solid. Either way, either the polyunsaturated um, you know, vegetable oil or the hydrogenated vegetable oil is toxic. And that is why junk food is unhealthy. Nobody disagrees that junk food is unhealthy. So um, what, what uh, my husband and I did when we wrote Deep Nutrition is we just defined what is the main ingredient that makes junk food unhealthy, and that's vegetable oil. So if you can avoid that, uh, whatever your grocery store is, Uh, there are some products that don't have vegetable oil, and you'll really go a long way towards avoiding the most toxic foods out there. And unfortunately, these uh, vegetable oils have made their way into a lot of so-called health products like lean cuisine and salad dressing, places you wouldn't suspect. So uh, it's absolutely essential that you start looking for vegetable oils if you care at all about your health.
0: Well, what's the problem with vegetable oil? Just can you, you know, give a few details on it what's is it wrong? Is it bad when it's cooked or is it just bad to be in the food period?
1: uh the answer is yes, it's bad when it's heated because it's unstable now the problem is we it, when you are talking about something unstable, you have to uh consider how much you're eating because if you put a whole bunch of something unstable together, then even if you don't heat it uh it can destabilize, and, and that's what's happening in our bodies right now, because 80% of the average American fat calories come from vegetable oils, and their composition is really high in something called, in a kind of fat called polyunsaturated fat, so if you've heard of saturated fat being bad for you, um, first of all, it's wrong, but you've heard a similar term, saturated, um, you know, versus polyunsaturated. There are different kinds of fatty acids, and the the amount of polyunsaturated fatty acids in our diet now is 10 to 20 times higher than what it was before these vegetable oils were invented, before the industrial era, when we ate, most of our fats came from actual real whole foods, plants, animals, so on. So our bodies are not designed to handle this much of these polyunsaturated the unstable fatty acids, and the fact that they are in our fat right now, you know, if, if you've been eating a whole ton of these polyunsaturated fatty acids, they build up in your body fat like a toxin and have toxic effects, and it's what leads to diabetes. And that is actually the topic of my next book. So in Deep Nutrition, I talk about how um, these vegetable oils cause heart disease, how they cause mutations in your DNA that can be passed on to your children, how they uh, cause Alzheimer's and memory problems, and how getting them out of your diet, no matter you know wh- how old you are, your body's going to start to work better in all kinds of ways. You can reverse you know arteriosclerosis. You can um, open up totally blocked arteries um, by getting these oils out of your diet and starting to eat the human diet, which basically is a vegetable oil-free diet. And if you can, have some yogurt for fermented food. If you can, have some liver pills instead of organ meats if you don't like that, and have some bone broth that is now available in almost every grocery store. So you can get all, all four pillars in your average grocery store, and you can do it without breaking the budget if you plan. But um, the vegetable oils um, are the underlying cause of diabetes. A lot of folks uh, are under the impression that it's sugar and carbohydrates, but that sugar and carbohydrates, are you know you can consume them actually. You don't have to fully restrict them in order to have a, a healthy diet. What you really have to fully restrict are these vegetable oils, and I explain why in both Eat Nutrition and my next book, The Fat Burn Fix.
0: How how pervasive are vegetable oils and per- packaged foods?
1: Probably 99% of the stuff in the middle of the grocery store that everyone agrees is bad for you. You're going to find these. So like you can't wow. you almost can't buy chips. Uh, you know you have to go to a whole Foods to find chips made in olive oil, coconut oil, or just buy a shop online. That's really the easiest thing to do since you're already probably listening. I was going to ask
0: you, (laughs) that's a vegetable oil is a no-no, but what oils uh, are workable for cooking and for, you know, for foods being processed in.
1: So the traditionally used sources of oils, which are coconut, olive, avocado really wasn't used traditionally, but it so happens that it's very stable. And now we're seeing a lot of it and it's just totally fine. butter, uh, and then all animal fats, which you're not going to really find, um, but I'm just going to list them. Uh, Lard and tallow. Actually, you know, back when I was a kid, uh, McDonald's french fries were fried in a mixture of lard and like sesame oil, but it was mostly lard. And they were so much better than they are today, I can tell you.
0: (laughs) If if you do end up having vegetable oil, are there some that are Worse than others? You know, like what's the, the best of it? What's the worst of it? Or is it just all bad?
1: Well, let me just list them out. So, the ones that you want to avoid, there's three C's and three S's that you're going to find in your average grocery store. So, the C's are corn, canola, cotton seed, and the S's are soy, sunflower, safflower. So, crackers, pastries, um, tater tots, frozen dinners, um, frozen burritos, uh, dehydrated fruit. Um, fun chips, veggie chips, pretty much any kind of packaged good is going to have these vegetable oils. So that's why, I, you know, everyone agrees you should not shop in the middle of the grocery store. You should shop on the edges. You should just get fresh food. And there are ways that you can make meals from fresh food without even cooking anything. And that's what I talk about in both Deep Nutrition and I elaborate on that more in the next book that's coming out in the spring of 2020, The Fat Burn Fix. That you know, there's. It's not like you have to cook meals from scratch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, if you don't use packaged foods. You you can uh, get yourself. You can assemble meals pretty quickly. No cooking required. You just need to find the right products that are you know made with the best quality, and and they are affordable, and they are in your average grocery store.
0: So you have your book? Um, but what what's become your role? Are you personally advising people in the, you know like a diet coach capacity, or you know what have you yeah, been so- doing? I mean. Now that you've been lazy, you've been doing a lot, but what what, what do you find yourself doing professionally now these days?
1: So I work for a company that's hired me to uh, basically eradicate diabetes from the company, and I am working with uh, their employees and creating uh, group programs, um, educational resources, and working with them one-on-one to uh, reverse everyone's diabetes.
0: Okay. Any uh, anecdotes you can share? No names or anything, but uh, any stories or you know transformations or interesting things you've seen?
1: Yeah. I mean, it turns out that if, you, if someone puts their mind to it, um, they can go from being a diabetic that uh, has to take um, insulin shots and uh, additionally a couple other pills and still has blood sugar levels in the high 100s to 200s to within two weeks being totally off um their medications and having blood sugars that are a hundred points lower than they were. So I see that all the time. And then and that's just two weeks. If you keep if you keep going with the same, you know, healthy foods, avoiding the vegetable oils, controlling your carbohydrates, limiting how many times a day you snack, um, you can be basically free of diabetes. That's why I say my mission here is to eradicate diabetes in the company that I'm working for.
0: What are some interesting things you've seen as you're working with people in the company? Like, like how many people are there and, uh, you know, has there been resistance and, you know, what's worked versus not?
1: Yeah, so the only resistance is that it's hard for people to change habits. So there's um, 1,600 employees and I've worked pretty, pretty closely with 120 of them and um, probably um, no, nearly a have, thousand have read the resources and have made small changes. Um You know, not all of them have diabetes, obviously, but um, the ones who have diabetes who work with me are universally able to get off medication, and it's really fun watching their numbers just plummet, you know, their blood sugars. Um, We check their blood sugars regularly. I have all that equipment here, and you can see them, you know, fall, uh, like I say, within a a matter of days, actually. They start falling, and then if they continue um, doing the plan, then they... Are basically no longer diabetic, and that's extremely rewarding It doesn't matter actually if they lose weight, but usually they, they all lose at least you know 20, 30 pounds in the process.
0: but are you restricting their sugar or carbs, or like what, like what are some examples of what you're doing? Is it mostly the vegetable oil portion or you know, like what's a the veg- example of what what's people done?
1: So, like, let's say a healthy breakfast would be just like a, a coffee with a whole bunch of half and half in it. Nice and simple. You have enough half and half there. You get three, four hundred calories. But uh, there's, all, there's very little carbohydrate in half and half, uh, but there is some. But most of it is in the form of lactose sugar, which is actually a prebiotic and really good for your vet flora. And, uh, so then they can make it all the way to lunch. We have a chef here. She does all kinds of fancy lunches. Just one example is like she'll do salads with a certain kind of Middle Eastern rice called freaky. So we have some, you know, slow digest. I call them slow digesting carbohydrates, these whole grain, um, traditional, uh, rices and stuff. And she, uh, will have like a little bit of a crumble of that. It's really delicious. And then, um, any kind of protein. So often she'll make, uh, like a chicken breast that she'll saute up and then, um, in, in all kinds of herbs and spices. And then she'll have like a delicious dressing that she makes, um, with the traditional oils. It's really important to make your own salad dressing. Um, and so that's one of the main reasons we hired a chef is because you can't get good salad dressing in Orlando and people love their salads for lunch. So that's what we, um, serve them for lunch. And then, um, I don't encourage any snacking. Um, every time you snack, you, uh, you know, you aren't doing your body any favors. Uh, You are, there's no such thing as a healthy snack uh, because anytime you consume calories, you're basically telling your body to stop burning fat between meals. And and that's very unhealthy. So, and then a nice dinner that you could make easily at home would be like, um, oh, well, now that the keto diet's so popular, uh, I, I, I encourage people to use keto recipes because they include healthy fat right? They're they're going to encourage, um, uh, like, you know, uh, you can use bacon, you can use cheese, you can use cream. You can, so so in order to get a good amount of vegetables and have them taste good, you could just do like a keto casserole, right? So you have some broccoli, a little bit of bacon, you could throw in some more chicken if you want to make it more high in protein. You can have, I'm not full on keto. I do encourage people to have whole food sources of carbohydrates so like uh and i, I also encourage people to avoid like potatoes and rice but you can have beans and um you can have semi-starchy vegetables like peas and um car- well, uh, broccoli and brussels sprouts with so a good amount of starch in them but uh they should be enjoyed with plenty of healthy fats uh, garlic butter for example salt uh, it's very important for the bringing out the flavors of your food and any kind of meat that you want. So if you don't want to have a casserole, you can make burgers, you can make uh, roast chicken, um, you can, you know, any, any, really any food. I just de-emphasize the role of the high carb foods. Like even when it, we make pasta at home, we really be, beef up our pasta sauce. No pun intended. Uh, actually, pun intended. With actual beef, more more meat and more veggies in the sauce. And we, um, you know, serve very little uh, pasta. Or I actually uh, really nowadays they have pre-zoodled um, zucchini in the store. So I like the mm, flavor of it. zucchini. Yeah, I like the flavor of that stuff more than I like pasta now. And um, it's really good just with hot sauce on it and tons of cheese.
0: Um, any other... Uh- tweaks that uh, are not obvious to people or that surprise them, you know, about the diet, either making it easier or harder to do for them.
1: Uh, any other what? Did you say tips?
0: T- yeah, tweaks that you make, like when like when you present people with, oh. with uh, the plan and what to eat, what not to eat, what's their reaction? Are they surprised? Are they thinking, oh, this is going to be hard to do? Or, you know, what do you hear from people at the beginning and then as they do it over the first few days? A week. Yeah.
1: Oh. Well, as long as I've sat down with them and I've picked out things that they they like, they're like, "This is great. <laughs> Give me more."
0: Oh, okay, good. So it's not a particularly tough way to eat. It's uh, inclusive of a lot of foods, and it's not uh, difficult for people.
1: Yeah. No. It, we 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 exclude no actual whole food. We include all whole foods, but we do downplay um, two whole foods, and those are potatoes and rice, like because those are very very high in Starch and relatively uh, high in calories for how much nutrition they they carry, so those are the ones that we downplay the most they 're like the the junk food of the whole food world <laughs> and fruit uh, fruit you want to be careful with too, because we 've really bred our fruits to be extremely high in sugar and relatively low in nutrition, so mm. you want to be careful with that
0: um, uh, Just last last question or two. Um, I don't know, any particular conditions that uh, people have? It sounds like you're focusing on diabetes. I mean, are you able to attribute a a success percentage? Like, have have you had cases that are resistant to no matter what you do or what they're eating? Or is it pretty much universal once they fix the eating that they get better?
1: It's universal. Once they fix the eating that they will get better. Now, some people are so far down the road of type 2 diabetes that they've already got like organ failure and stuff. So that's really, really limited But what they can actually do. Because once your kidneys fail, it's hard to consume whole foods because uh, they are they tend to be high in nutrients. And when you have kidney failure, certain nutrients you have problems with, with like potassium and nitrogen. So, But before you have organ failure, <laughs> you can pretty much get rid of your diabetes if you do... Uh, if you follow the plan strictly enough for long enough, right, the 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 healthier you are, the the faster it is to reverse a disease. Um, but
0: um, I think the more resilient you are, the more you can bounce back from whatever you, you know, whatever you put yourself through so far.
1: Yeah, exactly. You got it.
0: OK, very good. So uh, your book is available on Amazon. Is it on, on Audible? Like where can people get it? And What's the full title?
1: Deep Nutrition, Why Your Genes Need Traditional Food, that's available on, on Amazon and pretty much on, all online retailers. You can get it on Audible. In fact, uh, most of the time, it's like free with a new Audible subscription if you don't have one because uh, they're constantly running promotions on it um, because it's really long. <laughs> so it's a great source of entertainment for hours and hours uh, if you get it on Audible. And um, if you want to find out a little bit more about me and what else I'm doing, it's my website is drkate.com, d r c a t e dot And,
0: and I you do, mention, uh, oh, go ahead, please.
1: I should mention it's not just diabetes that um, it responds to this. So I, I bring up diabetes because actually diabetes is really the. Um, the dark overlord of all metabolic disease, and we're coming to understand that if you do not have diabetes or pre-diabetes or any precursor of of, of these conditions, you are pretty much not going to get uh, heart attacks, strokes, even Alzheimer's, and now we're understanding cancer is also a metabolic disease, so um, if you can eradicate diabetes and pre-diabetes and, um, uh, and sustain the Habit changes that you know reverse those diseases. You're also making your body basically disease-proof of most of the other chronic diseases that everybody's um, struggling against right now.
0: Oh, that's, that's big. Uh, do you talk to people individually, or is it is just too much and you have to go through the uh, the channels of your books? You do individual coaching, or does it have to be uh, large groups?
1: Well, right now I am mostly working on my books and and um, some other products, but. Uh, at my website i um I do offer like um you know individual coaching um when I have the time right so uh r- right now is not the time but if you subscribe to the website you know you can stay up to date on on uh what I'm doing and if you're interested if you have diabetes and or prediabetes or uh you know are a cancer survivor or worried about getting Alzheimer's and you want to work with me um uh, definitely reach out to my website.
0: Okay. Well, very good. Well, Kate, thank you for coming on the, uh, the podcast. I appreciate
1: it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.